we're launching a brand new series today, as you saw on the screen, uh, called Consider Jesus. And uh, this is a series based on the book of Hebrews. And so uh, for the next couple of weeks, as well as towards the end of the year, we will work through um, the book of Hebrews. And we are going to talk about um, how Jesus is a better deal. He offers us a better covenant. He, he is, it's, it's, a, it's a true and a full and a complete salvation that you cannot find anywhere else. And so I want to start off this morning um, in Hebrews 3 verse 1. If you have your, 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 your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Hebrews 3 and verse 1. We'll get back to Hebrews 1 in a moment, but um, this would kind of be the foundational uh, scripture for us because it says, um, it says there, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just nudge them and just say, consider Jesus. Why don't you turn to the person on the other side, your second choice, and just be like, I think you should consider Jesus a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more passionately this morning. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the pinnacle of our confession. He is what our faith is in. He is whom we confess. He is the one we look to. He is the Savior. He is the answer of God. He is the Word of God. He is the truth of God. He is the redemption of God. He is God. He's the creator of all things. Won't you consider Jesus? And everything else that you're considering and everything else that you're going through in your life and all the ways that you've tried to save yourself and help yourself and heal yourself and change yourself, won't you this morning consider Jesus? The high priest and the apostle of our faith, the sent one of our faith, the high priest, the one who leads us in this confession, he was faithful to him who appointed him. God appointed Jesus to fulfill um, our, the, the work of salvation on our behalf here on earth, and he was faithful. So this morning, if Jesus has been faithful in finishing the work that needed to be done on the cross, won't you consider him? Won't you consider what he has done and what that means for your life? And the main theme of the book of Hebrews is basically summed up in this point, that we would consider and recognize that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is greater than any self-help plan, any book you can pick up in exclusive books, any religious program, any system, any law, any sacrifice, any angel, any deity, any kind of worship, Jesus is greater than all of it. Anything that may come against your life, anything that you may struggle with, anything that may yearn for your attention and, and, and call for your attention and lead you down a path, Jesus is truly greater. He's greater than all things and he's the one that we consider. He's the faithful one. He's greater than sin, than religion, than the law, than the angels, than the sacrifices of the Old Testament and, um, and any other thing that we could come up with in our religious, our, our, our yearning for religiosity. You know why we as people tend towards religion? It's because we are ultimately addicted to saving ourselves. That's why we'll always come up with a formula. I do it myself. I want to be mad at other people for doing it, but then I have to be mad at myself as well, which I am, so I can be mad at other people as well. But we always tend towards religion. We always want to go back to a religious thing. What must I do in order to be blessed? What must I do in order for God to, to speak to me? What must I do in order to walk in the ways of God? We always go back to that because ultimately, as Charles Spurgeon said, every man is born a Pharisee. And the Pharisees didn't submit to the righteousness which came through Jesus. 
the scripture tells us in Romans, because they wanted to establish their own righteousness. So you can either be self-righteous or righteous, but you can't be both. You can either look to Jesus to save you or you're looking to yourself, but it can't be both. You're either gonna be saved by your works or by grace, but it cannot be both. It cannot be both. Scripture says this, if it is of grace, then let it be of grace. If you're being saved as the gift of God, as Ephesians 2 tells us, then you are saved completely and wholly by the truth of God and and, and the grace of God. So this is what the book of Hebrews is wanting to impress on all of us, that in Jesus, we have a better covenant based on better promises. We don't have to mix our new covenant of grace and faith in Christ with the Old Testament letter of the law and sacrifices and and, and religious duties and all of those things. We are out of the old. That's why Jesus said you cannot take new wine and put it into an old wineskin because the wineskin will burst. It does not have the ability to carry this new covenant and this new life and this fresh life. We cannot copy and paste principles and rules out of the Old Testament into our New Testament walk with God. It will burst and both will be lost. We need to put new wine into new wineskin. We need to live according to this way of the gospel. And so um, we have to, the, the, the author, which we, we, we know there's, there's debate, much debate over who the author of Hebrews is because the author himself never or herself never identified themselves. Um, and so there's a couple of theories as to who wrote the book of, of Hebrews. Uh, we know roughly the time frame that it was written in and roughly the audience that, that it was written to, um, but we don't know who the author specifically is. But what the author is saying to us is that what we need to do is hold fast to the message. We need to hold fast to the message of Jesus. We need to hold fast to the grace of God and, 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 and to what God has done through Jesus, even when we face difficult times. Because I have found that people like, and, and, and people actually come to a place in their own lives when they, where they believe the gospel and the truth of the gospel and they believe in the grace of God and they believe in the, in the, in the complete work of Jesus on the cross until something goes wrong. Until something goes wrong. I love this quote by a great theologian, Mike Tyson. Um, So he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Everybody's got a great plan until they get punched in the mouth. And it's like, I feel like it could be applicable to the church sometimes. Like we all have faith until we get punched in the mouth and then we lose sight of, of everything we believed before, right? Anybody ever experienced that? You're like, oh, Jesus is good. You're in worship, you're worshiping, you're chatting to people afterwards, you're joining a connect group. You're like, man, my life is on track. God is with me, God is speaking. Then something goes wrong. Your business goes under or a relationship breaks down or you go through some sort of a personal calamity in your life and all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, where are you? All that faith gone. You see, that's why there's a testing of our faith, which isn't testing where God is putting you under a pop quiz. It means a proving of your faith, a strengthening, a purifying of your faith, where God will actually allow us to go through moments like that so that when we get punched in the mouth, that's when we can find our faith. My faith has never grown more than in those moments when when everything was going wrong, not when everything was going right, because that's when I learned to depend. Now, I'm, I'm on the canvas I'm down for the count. And in that moment, I can do nothing else but depend on who Jesus is and what promises he has made to me and how faithful he is. 
And that's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do, to hold fast to Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. Hold fast to the gospel. The author of Hebrews wants to make sure that no matter what we face, we do not let go of our faith in the message of Jesus and of his grace. It's God's message to us. The message of the gospel, think about this, if God could send you an email, if God could send you a text, which he kind of did, it was a long one called the Bible, but if God could, if God could, could speak to you directly this morning, it would be the message of the gospel. And that's the one message that we get to carry forward. It's the one message that will transform our lives. Jesus is the complete, God's complete and all-encompassing self-declaration. People will say, well, why doesn't God, if he's real and so many people don't believe him, why doesn't he just reveal himself? He did through the person of Jesus. He already did that. He just can't come and do it every single day all of the time. He's done it, and now he says that we need to believe. We need to believe in him whom he sent. So Jesus is the complete message of God. God saying, this is who I am. This is what I have done. And so believe in me. And so this morning, I wanna share a message with you uh, from Hebrews 1, um, especially the, the first four verses in Hebrews 1. And, uh, and I wanna call this message, Everything God Wants to Say. Everything God Wants to Say. Jesus is and will always be everything that God wants to say to this world. Everything that God wants to do, everything that God wants us to know can be known through the person of Jesus. Let's go together to Hebrews 1 and verse 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the Jesus that we serve. A name that is much more excellent. And in this time, God has spoken to us by his son. We're gonna look at everything God wants to say this morning, um, but before we do that, let's just go ahead and pray together. Father, we, we thank you this morning that you are speaking, that you have spoken, and that you continue to speak the message that you spoke through Jesus, through his body, through his church. And this morning, God, we can hear everything that you wanna say to us. Thank you, God, that there is no divide that keeps us from hearing your voice. Thank you, Father, that we are your sheep and your sheep will hear your voice and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. So I thank you, God, that this morning, each of our hearts are open, our ears are open, our minds are attentive, and we can receive from the Holy Spirit everything that you wanna say to us this morning in faithfulness and in grace and in truth. And we thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be a little bit real with you this morning because we're all people and we all have weaknesses. Um, but I wanted to ask you if, if you have ever met somebody and without any real cause, just instantly disliked them, right? And then you Christians call it a spiritual clash, right? It's just a spiritual thing. I just don't like them. 
Anybody ever met somebody and you look at them and you're like, something about your face, something about how you speak, something about how you move. I don't even know what it is, but I'm judging everything that you are as a person from the moment I see you. Now, this has sometimes happened to me, but just to be clear, none of you, okay? I love all of you, and, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I liked all of you the moment I saw you. But, for, but there have been times where I have met somebody, and for some reason, I just don't like them. There's something about them that I don't like, or, or, or maybe you've heard something about them before. It's, it's amazing how if, if somebody has said something negative about a person before you've met them, it's like they have no chance. No matter how good they are to you, they could give you the, their car and you know, drive to visit you when you're in hospital and, and, and you know, bring food when you're in need. I mean, it doesn't matter what they do, you're still like, I don't like you because I once heard something, and uh, I'll always treat you with this kind of sense of reservation. And... and, and um, and we do that as people when, when we prejudge people or we've heard something about people and, uh, and, and, and it just makes you dislike a, this person and it feels like every moment you spend in their presence, the disdain that you have for them just kind of grows. And um, this has happened to me on occasion, but I remember one guy specifically that I met when I was a teenager, um, just at the beginning of high school, um, there was this guy that was at a, a party that I was at with some mutual friends. So he was from another school and, uh, and I arrived there and we had some mutual friends and I just didn't like him. I saw him, um, he was hanging out with a girl that I was kind of interested in, so that may have had something to do with it, but, 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 but more than that, he had this kind of aloofness about him. Like, like he was spaced out all of the time. Have you ever seen people like that? They're just like on another planet all of the time and he just kind of would stare off in the distance. I'm like, what is the meaning of your life? You're like, why are you looking out into the distance? And I just prejudged this guy, didn't like him at all. Um, and so I seem to, my, my, my 14 year old self, I tried to make my dislike of him known in some not so subtle ways. And what irritated me even more was none of them affected him. He just kept being... Kind of, it's like he didn't even know I was there. None of it affected him, and that frustrated me any, even more. And then the following year, um, I went to a different high school. I moved high schools um, after grade eight, and I went into grade nine, and that same guy ended up in my class, right? So I didn't even know he was in that school, and now that guy ends up in my class, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This guy, I'm gonna be stuck with him for the rest of my high school career. I really don't like him. And uh, the first thing he ever said to me, ended up in his class, and his first thing he ever said to me was, hey, Hardo, you know, just like mocking me, first moment, I'm like, but the second thing he said was, do you wanna come to the cricket with us? You know, just like, so I'm like, why are you being nice and inviting me to stuff? Don't you know I don't like you? Anyways, long story short, fast forward a few months uh, ahead from that time, and this really irritating guy became my best friend growing up. Like we became best friends. Uh, this is a photo, I've actually got a photo of us the other day or a couple of years back. That's my friend Richard and his little boy Luke and, and we were hanging out. And, and so all the way through high school, this guy that I really disliked and I really, you know, didn't like. And you know what I loved the most about him? Was that like disconnectedness about him. How funny and aloof and like, I was like, I, I thought I didn't like it, but then I realized that he's actually just a really genuine guy. And, and somebody who can really enjoy life and see the good things in life and became one of my best friends ever. So I had completely, in my humanness and in my frailty and in my flesh, misjudged who this person was. And, um, and, and I could have missed out on a really great friendship and a really great relationship because of it. Um, and I believe that people do this with God. 
I believe that people have got uh, uh, issues with God and, and things they don't like about God and, and, and stories about things that God has done, but none of those things are actually the true God. They, they're judging a God that they do not know according to people that have said things that also do not know the God that they're saying things about, right? And we've all heard the rumors. If you've shared your faith in any kind of a public context, you would know that people have got certain issues with the idea of God. But that's just the thing. Their issue is with the idea of God, and the idea that they have of God is the incorrect one. They don't know him. And so often, we as people and we as a society uh, judge God from this very shallow position. All we've really heard are rumors. Have you ever heard a rumor about a person only to meet them and find out that those rumors are completely untrue? Completely false. The perception that you had in your mind because of what somebody else said was completely wrong. And it takes humility to admit that I was wrong about this person. I was wrong in the way that I judged them. And, and we need to understand that none of us have a perfect theology or a perfect view of God. And so we can always improve our understanding of Jesus, but it's not gonna improve at all unless you know the gospel unless you begin to walk with God yourself, not just going on secondhand information. And that's why we say, this is really not about a religion. This is really not about being at arm's length with God, just following his rules without a vital and personal connection to Jesus yourself. We don't want you to just believe what we tell you about Jesus. We want you to walk with Jesus yourself and walk with us as we walk with Jesus so that you can get to know him in that real way, in that authentic way get to know the, the beauty of his character and, and the power of his nature and his unbridled love and faithfulness, his desperate kindness and goodness, his enduring consistency and truthfulness. If you knew those things truthfully in your own heart, you would want nothing more than to know more of Jesus and to walk with him every day of your life. It's only people who don't know who God really is that don't wanna walk with him. And this is what more than us as the church want to get this message out, and that's what we're passionate about. We want people to know Jesus for who he really is. To know God is, is, is what we wanna do here. On a Sunday morning, we encourage you to bring friends, bring people, because we wanna share who Jesus is and what the scriptures reveal about Jesus. We, we want people to know this Jesus and, and the greatness of his love and his goodness and his grace. But more than us wanting to, to, to share this message with the world, what the scriptures actually tell us and what the writer of Hebrews tells us is that God wants us to know him. Isn't that amazing? Even when we were running in the opposite direction, the Bible says that, that while we were still rebels, while we were still God haters, while we were still running in the opposite direction, Jesus died for us. And so more than what we want people to know about Jesus and his goodness, God wants people to know him. He wants to reveal himself and reveal his heart and, and, and speak to us. And since the time that mankind lost its relationship with God, God has been communicating and revealing himself to us. God is speaking all of the time. And we look at that scripture that says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, we can just put that up on the screen, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So I love that, that for, for in many times, many different eras, in every generation, in many different ways, God was speaking all of the time. He was revealing his nature all of the time through the prophets. Many times, in many ways, God has always been speaking. 
And those prophets were people that were divinely inspired by God to bring his word and his voice into this world in a way. I mean, we could see God in, in, in nature, for example, Romans 1 tells us, and that is one of the ways that God speaks in the heavens. They declare his glory. They speak about the goodness of God. And so in many ways, God has spoken this, but specifically through his prophets, God has spoken. But all of this, all of the speaking that God has done and all of the speaking that we had in the Old Testament were like rumors. They were like news that came from a distant land. They were like little bits of information that didn't quite add up. The full picture didn't come together just yet. Anybody here that has young kids that's ever tried to watch TV with your kids around, you'll know that you cannot watch one episode at one time. You cannot dedicate 45 minutes to watching one episode of a series because in that time, who knows what might happen if you've got young kids, right? And so you learn to watch series in series, right? You watch one episode, just becomes 10 episodes because you pause and you stop and then you go and sort and you come back and you watch another little bit and then tomorrow you'll watch some more and it takes you like a week to get through an episode um, because of kids. And that's what it was like in the Old Testament. There was just bits of information coming through, but they were all like rumors. It wasn't the full picture. It wasn't the complete statement as yet, just bits of information. And so the full glory of God wasn't yet revealed to us. It wasn't yet revealed. And that's what we have in the Old Testament. It frustrates me, honestly, when Christians want to go back to the Old Testament to find out how to live like New Testament Christians. Because it's like basing your faith on the rumor rather than the real thing. And it's subtle, but people begin to incorporate because of their need and desire to be in control of their process of sanctification. They begin to incorporate the Old Testament principles into their New Testament faith. And that's what they do. But it's like worshiping the rumor rather than the real thing. The writer of Hebrews then goes on and he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed as the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. So no longer just in, in creation and in, in, in prophets and in people and in different situations um, and in different leaders, but now through his very own son, Jesus Christ, God has spoken. He's spoken to all of us. This new covenant that we live, God has made a full declaration of his nature through the person and the life and the teachings and the sacrifice of Jesus, God has spoken. And so Jesus, in a very real way, is everything that God wants to say to you. Jesus is everything that God has wanted to say to a fallen humanity. Jesus is everything that God wants to say to the sick. Jesus is everything God wants to say to the poor. He's everything he wants to say to those who are in trouble. Everything to the, he wants to say to those that are caught up in religious strife and, and in, in self-righteousness. It's everything that God wants to say he has said through the person of Jesus. Everything he wants to say to you today. That's why John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. It is God's word spoken to us as people. The fullness and the supremacy of Jesus himself and through him everything that exists was made. We're not just talking about a messenger. 
We're not just talking about a secondhand bit of information or a prophecy divinely inspired through the Spirit and, and through a person by the Spirit. We're talking about God himself. The complete, full declaration and statement of who God is. It goes on there and it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The complete the complete declaration, the opening, God revealing his glory. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Why? Because he's not just a messenger. He's not just an angel. He's not just, he's not just somebody sent with a message. He is God himself, God in the flesh. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was in the flesh and wasn't able to, to uh, use his omniscience and, and, and omnipotence in the way that God, he was dependent on the spirit, but at the same time, he was God in the flesh himself. The Bible says that God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And so God sent his very best himself. Not just a message, but himself. That would be the difference between, between uh, saying something important to somebody via WhatsApp. Have you ever done that? Please don't do that. It's like really, really important, and then you send like a WhatsApp message. That was the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, we've put WhatsApp away, and we go in person. We go, this is the message, and I've come to deliver it to you personally. That's what Jesus has done for all of us in coming to this earth and speaking to us. And I love that, that it says that he is the exact imprint of God's nature, the exact imprint. Now that, that word imprint in the Greek is actually a word which has just been taken from the Greek and put straight into um, our English language. So you're gonna think it's English, but the word character is actually a Greek word that we've just said, okay, well, we can't find a new word for that, so let's just use it in English as well, right? So, but character is a Greek word. And it would actually refer to this imprint um, in, in the ancient Greek, this idea of an engraving or a stamping of soft or hot metal with a pattern which the metal will then continue to bear, the character. So before they had a printing press where they would take characters, and that's also where we get characters of the alphabet, was because it was in the beginning when the printing press came out, you would take each individual letter and you would impress it through dye uh, onto paper or through this, onto metal through, through a, a metal stamp, a hardened metal stamp. But it bears that same idea of taking an exact engraving of something and impressing it onto the soft or, or hot metal so that that metal would continue to bear the mark, would continue to bear the representation of what the engraving originally was. It's a process which was used um, in, in ancient times for the making of coins. So I've got an example here of a, of a Roman coin. And uh, what would happen is that they would actually have an engraver, the emperor would employ an engraver who would carve a royal portrait. He would, the the, the, the um, Emperor would sit and he would have the portrait carved and he would then take that and make a stamp of that. That engraving would be made into a stamp of hard metal and then the engraver would take that stamp and stamp it onto some heated metal in order to make that coin and it would bear the resemblance. Here's an example of what the stamps would look like, the hardened metal and how it would be transferred onto a coin so that the coin would then give the exact 
impression or indeed expression of what was on the staff. And so what God did with Jesus, when he sent Jesus, he took this accurate impression, the complete and full representation of himself, and he stamped it onto the softness of the flesh of Jesus. Not, no longer a God that is distant, that's just that we get messages from in a distant way, but a God that is present with us, a person that represents everything that God is to us in the flesh. That's what the writer is saying about Jesus. The Father's very nature and glory has been precisely reproduced in the soft metal of the Son's human nature to all of us. God has spoken in a greater way through Jesus than he has ever spoken before. He showed us who he is. He revealed himself. And he could do this because Jesus was not just a representative, but God himself in the form of flesh. And now, it's there for all the world to see. Jesus has, has lived out that life. He has, he has taught all the teachings and he has, he has walked with people and he's shown his heart towards the poor and towards the lost and towards the hurting. He has shown us what God is like. People didn't know what God was like. As Paul said to the people in Athens, you worship an unknown God, but I've come to reveal the known God to you as Jesus revealed God to us. Hey, when we go out there into this world and we tell people what God is like, we're not guessing any longer. We've looked at the exact imprint of his nature. And that nature is now being imprinted on us. That's what the Bible says. The more we behold him, that nature of God is actually being imprinted onto us and we become like the one we behold. The whole universe is held together by the word of his power. We know what God is like. And so when we find, find faith in this Jesus, we recognize that he is supreme above all else. That he is not just a religious teacher, not just a moral leader, not just a, a generally good guy, but he is God, he is the creator, he is the exact imprint of the Father, and our faith is in him. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1, we preach Jesus, no more, no less. We hold fast, we hold fast to the message of Jesus. He is everything that God wants to say. We do not need to add to the message of the gospel. We do not need to add our own rules, our own religiosity, our own piety, our own human thoughts, our own doctrines, our own commandments that we teach as the doctrines of God. The Bible says when you do that, you make the command of God to no effect. We're here to hold to the clarity and the purity and the message of the person of Jesus and Jesus alone because through him, God has spoken. Through him, we know everything that we need to know. Have you ever met those Christians that every two seconds when you speak to them, they're like, oh God, I need a word. Have you ever met the I need a word Christians? I'll be honest with you again, I was one of them. Don't judge me, right? I was one of those, I need a word, God. I wanna do something in my life. I need a word, God. I wanna take this step. I need a word, God. Everything I wanna do, God, please speak to me, God. I haven't heard your voice, God. And people come to me often as a pastor and say, I just, I don't think God's speaking to me. I just, I feel like I haven't heard him in the longest time. I just, you know, God is out there. He's far away. I don't know why he's silent, but he seems to be silent. Um, you know, and, and, and I need a word. God, please speak to me. Send a person, send a raven, send a pigeon, send, send an ostrich, you know, send anything you can send, God, any kind of bird. Let it speak to me. Let, you know, just give me a message God how many times have we done that lack of faith 
I, oh God, I need a word. Now let me clarify by saying that we do believe in prophecy here at Anchor Church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in, in the fact that God could speak a message through His Spirit, a divinely inspired word of knowledge and, and word of wisdom that would impact a person's life. We believe in that. But none of it will ever come close to the word that we have already received, which is the word of Jesus, which is Jesus being sent to us. It is God has spoken in this way. To be honest, none of us need a word. If God never speaks a word, he does it because he loves us, but if he never speaks another word to us again, he has said all that he's ever needed to say already. The message of Jesus. In the message of Jesus, we have full assurance of God's love, full assurance of his faithfulness, full assurance of his commitment towards us and his grace, full assurance of the fact that he is all-powerful. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The same words, just listen to this, the same words that uphold the universe are the same words with which God called you. I can stand here and as a pastor, it can be, you can feel vulnerable many times. You're trying to build a church and God has been so gracious to us and we're moving forward and we believe that God is faithful and we, we see it every single day, but there are still moments of doubt where you can feel vulnerable. And then I remember that the same word that literally upholds and holds the universe together is the word that was spoken over my life in order to call me to be in this position. And your calling is no different. The eternal word and the divine shout has gone out over your life. The same power that holds the universe together calls us into action and empowers us for that action. So why would we need God to reaffirm it again and again and again and again? Watchman Nee speaks about this in his book, The Spiritual Man. And I remember reading this where he said that immature Christians feel like they always need a spiritual encounter to make them feel like God is still present. Like if you haven't like seen a miracle in a while or if you haven't had goosebumps in worship or if you haven't, you know, if something cool hasn't happened around church, which we love and God does those things, he confirms his word, it's awesome. Um, but we feel, so many Christians feel like if I don't have that, then God has abandoned me. That's why they cry so much when they get a prophecy because they're like, oh God, you haven't forgotten me, right? So immature Christians are always looking for a spiritual experience to confirm their faith and that God is still with them, the faithfulness of God. But watch Manis says, and God is gracious. So when they ask for it, God often gives it to them, but because they're immature, they then become self-righteous and they walk around going, well, God speaks to me all the time. I mean, God just speaks to me all the time. I'm just like, God and I are like this, man. I hear his voice. You know, I've had conversations with people. We'd be talking about something completely unrelated. Like we'd be talking about rugby and they would just go off here. You know, the other night, God appeared in my room. There was an angel and there was like, you know, three glasses of water and God just, and we're like, how has this got anything to do with the rugby that we were talking about? They just have to insert that info because that's what happens when you're immature as a Christian. But what Watchman Nee says is that mature Christians, it says the righteous shall walk by faith. Now God blesses us and we experience him in powerful ways, but we don't need the experience to validate our faith. In fact, it's our faith that leads to the experience. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. So we don't need our faith validated by a word. We have Jesus and what he said is true, is true and that's what we hold fast to. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. The same God whose word upholds the universe is the God who has declared that you are righteous. Do you believe it this morning? 
The same God who set the universe into being through his words said, you are righteous. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are loved. You are protected. It's all come through the word of Jesus. Every promise. And no greater word can be spoken. No greater word can be spoken. That's why it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God has spoken his blessing and his acceptance and his favor over your life, no word can come against that. Don't allow the opinions and the thoughts and the, and the human ramblings of people to affect what the eternal God has said over your life. Because he has spoken. Jesus is everything that God wants to say over your family, over your marriage, over your future, over your past, over your pain. Jesus is the word. So then I got to a place in, in Hebrews 1. Now Hebrews 1, as I said, it goes through and it reaffirms again and again and again, not just Hebrews 1, but all of Hebrews, why Jesus is greater. Why he's greater than the Old Testament sacrifices and why he's greater than Moses and why he's greater than all the patriarchs in the Bible. It just shows us the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He's, the, he's greater than Melchizedek and he's greater than all the high priests that Israel has ever had. He's greater than any religious figure. But, but the writer of Hebrews confuses me a little bit in this one point. He starts off by saying, Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, I don't know if anybody has ever struggled with that, but, but for me, I never thought that, I never thought anything different. I never thought that an angel would be greater than Jesus. And I get that there are some people that really go into this weird kind of, uh, kind of belief where they worship angels and they communicate with angels and they do all these kinds of weird things with angels, apparently. Um, uh, and, and, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels. Jesus is greater than angels. And so this confused me. Why does he start in the first chapter of this letter uh, to, the, to the Hebrews, why does he write it and begin with he's greater than angels? And then I, as I was thinking about the word angels, in the Greek, it means, it's angelos, which essentially just means messenger. Messenger. So he's saying that God, in the past, he spoke in many ways. And we know in the Bible that God speaks through angels because angels are essentially messengers that carried the word of God to different people in the Old Testament and in the New, that God would send angels, but now it says that God has spoken through Jesus as his word, and therefore Jesus is the greatest messenger. He is above all the other messengers that have gone before. God spoke through all these messages, but there has never been and never will be a greater message, messenger or a greater message than the message of Jesus. You will never hear a greater message than this one, the one about Jesus, the one from Jesus. And it goes on there and uh, he builds on that idea and he says, to which of the angels, to which of the messengers has God ever said, you are my son? To which of the angels has God ever said, you are my son, you will sit at my right hand until I make your enemies uh, your footstool. God hasn't ever said that to the angels, why? Because in this case, instance, it wasn't just an angel, it wasn't just an angelic being, but it was the son of God, God himself, that came to bring the message. So Jesus is greater than any message 
that has ever gone before. The, the angels themselves are, are ministering spirits, but he is the son of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so Hebrews 2.1, I'm gonna finish with and we'll continue on this next week. But Hebrews 2.1, um, we can just go to that next scripture there. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Therefore, because God has spoken and said everything he has ever wanted to say, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. We don't want to drift away from the message of Jesus because we're allowing other messages, our own thoughts and, and things that people have said and things we've possibly even heard in church to cause us to drift away from the person of Jesus and the message that God has shared through his son. Hold on to the message. Don't drift towards religion. Don't drift towards the Old Testament law. Don't drift towards superstitions and fables. Don't drift towards sin or doubt or fear or anything else. Consider Jesus. We must pay much closer attention so that we don't drift away. And that's what we're gonna do in this series is that we're gonna pay much closer attention to Jesus and how he is everything that God has ever wanted to say, how he is the fulfillment of all things on our behalf and how in him we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Let's pay closer attention to the message of the gospel. Amen? The message of Jesus, he has been, he has, it's been spoken over your life and it cannot be unspoken. It cannot be unspoken. God is good and he has spoken good things over you. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.